Good morning. Psalm 51.8 says, Make me to hear joy and gladness. And I was asking myself, how do you hear joy? I think we heard joy this morning in this beautiful rendition of the Lord's Prayer. And I hear joy when I'm greeted. And you give me a lot of joy in your greetings. And so I say thank you very much. And may the Lord bless you. The the first words of Jesus that were spoken following his resurrection are recorded in Matthew's Gospel. And these are part of our reading this morning. And if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Matthew chapter 28 and we'll read from there. Matthew 28, beginning to read at verse 7. Verse 7, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Here's the first words of Jesus following his resurrection. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 16. The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray again. Would you join with me? Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be in your presence this morning. And to have before us these words that were penned by the the Apostle Matthew. We thank you for them. And we pray, Lord, that you would encourage us with these words Impress them upon our souls, and may your name be glorified. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jesus wants to have a meeting with his disciples, according to verse 16, in a mountain in Galilee. Whether we would understand a mountain to be a hill or a series of hills that doesn't really matter. This was a place obviously well known to the disciples. And it may have been the same place he had chosen the twelve apostles. We don't know for sure. Maybe it was the place where 500 people saw Jesus at one time. We don't know. Some writers believe that it was in a town called Capernaum, which was in Galilee. We don't know. But the message this morning 
is of Jesus going to Galilee and meeting his disciples there. And I would like for us to look at the reaction of the people, and I would like for us to notice the message that Jesus brings to the disciples. Galilee obviously had some significance as it was the place where many of the miracles of our Lord were performed. It was a place where he had done a lot of preaching and teaching. And it was a place where a good number of his disciples lived. Galilee was the place of many memories. The people in the area knew him well. And now he was coming to Galilee. Can you imagine Jesus coming to San Ramon and he having told you, meet me there. I want you to come and I want you to meet me there. And so here you are in San Ramon and Jesus is coming. There were no journalists at this meeting. At least I don't think so. There were apparently no curiosity seekers, no paparazzis. There were no people invited who were contrary and belligerent. The people invited were people that Jesus loved and who had followed him. And so at his request, they come to greet him. I would think that there would have been an air of excitement, expectancy to see Jesus, the one who had just conquered death. When he died on the cross, he had broken the hearts of many, but now he was alive. And he was coming back home to his home state, Galilee. This is the same Jesus who had personally fulfilled Prophecies regarding his death and resurrection. And the people in the area knew him very well. And now he was coming and he had invited those who loved him to be there. Now with this as a little bit of background, I want you to notice verse 17 of our passage. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I would like to think of myself as one of those who worshipped our Lord. I'd like to think that I would have been one of those who had bowed his head and his heart and his knees to welcome the Lord Jesus Christ. But there were some there who doubted. I don't know how you came to church this morning, whether you came as a worshiper or whether you came as a doubter. How did you come? I'd like to think of myself as one who worshiped our Lord. Was there any hesitation in your coming this morning? Was there any looking for excuses? Or was there a wholehearted desire to be with God's people gathered around the promise that where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of them? Did you come to meet Jesus? 
And I'm always challenged by that verse in Matthew 18 and verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. Do I really see Jesus in our midst? Do we take the invitation of Jesus seriously? It's easy to come to church as a doubter. It's easy to move from disappointment and discouragement to doubt. It's easy to move from a contrary spirit to have a doubting spirit. It's easy to believe with Chicken Little that the sky is falling and be filled with doubt. And when these kinds of things happen to us, we miss the joy of worship and the presence of our Lord. Can you imagine the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ standing here and you and I not worshiping? I can hardly imagine that. But there were some here that doubted. Several years ago, Kathleen and I were at a convention and we were listening to George Verwer, the head of Operation Mobilization. And among the things that he told us were his battles with loneliness and discouragement and doubt. So great was the doubt that filled George Verwer's mind and soul that he said he felt that he could chuck it all. His ministry and his faith. And when he said these words, I cried. Because that little voice inside of me, you know that little voice? You have that little voice that speaks to you? Well, that little voice was speaking to me and said, uh, Hugo, you're not the only one that has felt that way. I could, with my soul, understand what George Verwer was saying. But I was encouraged. Amidst my doubt at that moment, I was encouraged. I was encouraged because here was another one. Just like me. Perhaps a little bit like some of you. Before you decide to put down the doubters, I want to remind you of something. Yes, there were doubters, but they hadn't stayed home. Didn't, they didn't say, well, there's not much point in going to church today. You know, these Galileans are a pretty excitable bunch of people. I'm not going to associate with them. No, despite their, despite their doubts, they came. And dear friends, I'd like to say this to all of us here. When there are things that come into your life that you don't understand, when you're feeling down and feeling, what's the use? Please, please, don't stay home. Come. 
Because you just might meet the risen Christ. And that would be worth it all. To see him. Well, we're going to see him. We're going to see him. There were doubters there in Galilee. I'm sure they finally came to the point where they were to be glad that they had come because they saw him. Well, what does Jesus do? What's he going to say? What is the conqueror of death going to say? I want you to notice verse 18. First, he comes close to them. He draws near. As if to say, look at me. Look at these hands. I don't know whether they could see the, uh, the wound in his side or not, whether it was covered with clothing or not. But look at me. Look at Jesus. It's really me. Yes, I'm the one who died and was buried in that stone tomb. And the first thing that Jesus does is to come near them. These people had come and Jesus honors their coming by drawing close to them. And it reminds me of that verse in the book of James. Come near to God and he will draw near to you. Why would anyone stay away when they have the opportunity to draw near? Secondly, he tells these people some of the most encouraging words found in the New Testament. I want your imagination to go with this. Imagine the Lord Jesus coming close to you and saying, Hugo, all authority is given to me both in heaven and on earth. Wow. The authority of the Lord Jesus Christ reaches everywhere. No one is exempted from his authority and no place is removed from the sphere of that authority. I hope you like word studies because I'd like to give you a little word study here of two Greek words. The first word is dunamis. And that's the word from which in our English we get the word dynamite. Power. I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power, the dunamis of God. The second word is exousia, or legitimate power and authority. A terrorist or a crook with a gun has dunamis or power. But a police officer with a gun has exousia. His power is legitimate. Today is the Super Bowl. And uh, there'll be two teams playing. Two teams playing who have 350 and 360-pound tackles. And they have other men with... 240 pounds, 250 pounds, who are described as battering rams. They're the fullbacks and other backs. They've got dunamis. 
They all have dunamis. And they try to enhance their dunamis by lifting weights and doing all kinds of other uh, bodybuilding techniques. They want more dunamis. And they've got it. But you know, there are several men on the field with striped shirts. (laughs) You know where I'm going with this. They have these striped shirts and their hair, some of their hair is gray like mine. And they don't seem to be in particularly good shape, some of them. But they've got exousia. They have legitimate power and what they say goes on the field. And those guys with dunamis cannot overcome the exousia of these people with the striped shirts. These men with their black and white striped shirts control the game. It isn't the powerful men in their uniforms. The game officials have exousia and what they say goes. And sometimes the powerful men with all of their dunamis don't like the decisions of these striped shirt guys. But what they say goes. You're with me on this, right? Jesus was telling the people in that first post-resurrection message that there is no power in the universe, no dunamis. Not even if his name is Satan. There is no dunamis that can overcome the exousia of our Lord Jesus Christ. All power exousia is given to me both in heaven and on earth. And I'm so glad. You know, there are powerful people whose messages may discourage us. And they've got power. They've got exousia. Sometimes, in our own households, we find people have, exus- have dunamis. Sometimes they're family members. Sometimes they're church members. Sometimes they're government officials. And they discourage us and bring doubt to our minds and hearts. There are powerful forces inside our minds that discourage and bring to us that uncomfortable place called doubt. But the message of Jesus is, yes, there are powerful people and powerful forces out there. Yes, there are them. And they've got dunamis. But listen, all exousia is given to me, both in heaven and on earth. And you don't need to fear these people. If you have your Bibles, just turn to verse 7 also. Same chapter, chapter 28. Verse 8, 
And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. Two very interesting emotions. Fear and great joy. Can you imagine those uh, co-mingling and uh, there they are. Fear and great joy. And I am sure that these were difficult times. Not knowing whether to believe that Jesus was really raised from the dead or, yes, He is raised from the dead and just bursting with joy. These two conflicting emotions. Two contrary emotions. And there they had them. But they needed that message that Jesus brings to them when he tells them that all exousia is his. Whether in heaven up way up there or whether it's way down here, he's got the power. He's got the exousia. As we read our New Testaments, we read of incident after incident of the triumph of weak people who had exousia, and who triumphs over strong men who had dunamis. You're going to get these two words right. Dunamis, exousia. When Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 were taken out of prison and brought before the Jewish leaders, these leaders that were called the Sanhedrin, there's the temple guards there, and there was Caiaphas. Remember him? And they asked the disciples, by what power did you do this? But they're still with dunamis. By what dunamis did you do this? That is, heal a man who had never walked in 40 years. That takes a lot of power to get this man a walking. And Peter replies, it is by the name. It is by the name of the one who has exousia that he is walking. It's great to think of Jesus with exousia. It's, it's terrific. Well, that's not all. What does Jesus say next to these people, those who came to worship and those who doubted? Verse 19. Therefore, and when you see the word therefore, you want to ask, what, what is it therefore? Therefore, in view of my complete authority, my exousia, Jesus says, I've got a job for you to do. And here's the job description. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and baptize these disciples. That's the job description. And thirdly, teach the disciples to obey everything I have commanded you. And further, I want you to know I'll be with you. I'll be with you in all of your circumstances of life. I'll be with you as you go and make disciples. I'll be with you. I'm the one that's going to go with you. And when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, what is he saying to us? 
I think he's saying, it's time to move. These are marching orders. Get on with the job of making disciples of all nations. And some people may say, well, I can't do that. I'm bashful. I've tried it before. Remember who it is that has got dunamis and who has got exousia. Yes, you can do it. If you're relying on the one who has exousia. We are to make disciples. And that means make the followers of Jesus, not of Hugo or of any other person. Jesus invites us to go and make disciples and followers of Jesus. And Jesus, secondly, says we are to baptize the disciples in the name. Notice the word name is in the singular. It's name, not names, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The singular word name is not that English. Because it refers to the Godhead, the Trinity. This verse helps us to understand something of the meaning of baptism. And baptism is linked to the name of the triune God. Baptism refers to our new identity. And I've heard people talk about this identity, new identity. And for a long time I wasn't quite sure what in the world they were talking about. And I hope I can clarify this and make it a little simpler. I heard a good illustration of the idea of the new identity about seven or eight years ago, and I never forgot it. Some of you may know the name Tony Evans. He's one of a growing number of dynamic and exciting group of black preachers. I think he's terrific. He and his mother and his wife of one week, we're doing evangelistic services at the Apollo Theater in Harlem. And the phone rang, and Tony Evans' wife, of one week, picked up the phone and said, Hello. And the party on the other side said, Hello, I'd like to speak to Mrs. Evans. And this dear lady, (laughs) one married one week, to Tony Evans, said, I'll go and get her. She had forgotten her identity. She was Mrs. Evans, and she always will be Mrs. Evans, because she was immersed in that name when she got married. Our identity. Have you ever forgotten who you are? We have been baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have taken on that identity. Don't ever forget that. We call the new identity being a Christian. Sometimes our actions and our words deny our new identity. That is who we are. We belong to God and we have been baptized into the name. When we are more concerned 
with our self-image than we are for the honor of God, we have forgotten our identity. When we live unproductive Christian lives, when we fail to gather together with other Christians, we have forgotten who we are. When we allow petty misunderstandings to separate us from other Christians, we have forgotten who we are. Every believer baptized into the name is obviously linked to other believers. And if we all derive our identity from the same triune God, then all believers have the same identity. We are all believers. We are all followers. We're all disciples of the one who's God Exousia. We're not only to go and make disciples, we're to baptize them into the name of the Trinity, the triune God. And I trust here at San Ramon you'll see a good number of people baptized into the name of the Trinity. Verse 20 gives us the last part of the job description of our commission. We are to teach the disciples to obey everything that Jesus commanded. This means that the teaching of Jesus is to be passed on until the end of the age. It's always meaningful. It's never to be replaced. So what did Jesus teach? What did he teach that we are to emulate? What did he teach that we are to pass on to others? Teaching them to remember all the things that he had spoken to them about. Well, Jesus taught we are to believe in him for salvation. He taught us that. Pass it on. We are to abide in Christ. That is, we're to stay close to Him. Abide in Christ and pass that idea on. We are to love one another and thus show that we are indeed one of His disciples. Pass that through Thon. We are to remember Him in the breaking of the bread and drinking of the cup, which we did this morning. Pass on that command of Jesus. We are to be accepting of people, being compassionate, reaching out to the needy. We are to pray. And Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. There's a consequence to not praying. And that consequence is fainting. And when you have fainted, you're not much use to very many people. Use wisely the talents that God has given. We are to look for his return and so on. These are a few of the things that Jesus commanded us to do and we, are, we do well when we pass that on. In closing, I want you to note the last sentence of verse 20. And surely I'll, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I remember as a 12-year-old boy going hunting and fishing with my father. They were always good times because he was with us. 
I remember one hunting trip. It seemed we had walked forever and ever. And it was getting dark, and I wondered, when were we going to turn back and head for our car? I remember pushing, finally pushing that uh, thought away and saying to myself, don't worry, you're with him. And he's with you. On this occasion, I had gotten turned around, and though I didn't know it, we were well on our way to our car. It's good to be with someone that you trust. It's good to be with someone who knows the way. It's good to be with someone who says to you, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's really exciting to me to think of that. That he's with us and will always be with us. I trust that if any came here this morning doubting that you will leave trusting. Yes, trusting the one who has exousia. And if there is someone here this morning that has not made that commitment to Jesus Christ, today's a good day for that. Today's a good day. And you can remember it. It's Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> Today is a day. I trust today will be the day when you say, yes, I believe in Jesus and I belong to Him. He's my Father. That's my identity. I'm His Son. May the Lord bless you all this morning. And remember, he's the one that's got exousia. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for being with us here this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Father, for the one who has exousia. We pray for any here who may not know you yet. And we pray that they might turn this morning and say, yes, I want to be associated and I want to believe in the one who has exousia. For some here, Father, who have come maybe even discouraged a little this morning, maybe not really feeling very well, Father, would you come into their lives in a powerful and fresh way that they might know Him. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us. And we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen.